Hello, my name is Vance Need, and welcome to another episode of The PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called The Postscript. Now, on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week will speak with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of those topics and dive in just a bit deeper. In today's episode, we'll continue our discussion about the King James Bible. So, let's do this thing. Now, in our previous episode, we took a look at the various motivations for the production of new Bible translations. And although there are many stated reasons, we saw that there are three primary motivations. The first is readability. Some new translations are developed in response to a perceived lack of readability of previous versions, particularly as it relates to the KJV. However, we discussed how readability is a highly subjective term. The next is archaic words. Some new translations are developed in response to these archaic words. These are words which are no longer in popular usage. Again, we discussed that if we don't update the works of other authors, like Tolkien, just because of archaic words, why would we do this with the Bible? Lastly, we saw words that have changed meaning. These are words that no longer mean what they did in 1611. However, what we saw is that words are defined over time as we sit under biblical expository preaching, and also these words have been collected in various forms, whether in books or on the internet, so that there is access to them. Now, in today's episode, we'll be comparing Bible versions. And regarding this topic, there are a spectrum of reasons as to why Christians don't have a strong opinion about which Bible version they read. However, a lot of Christians believe that the versions essentially say the same thing. As we'll see today, this isn't the case. Different versions use different words which communicate different ideas which lead to different conclusions. Now, there are a lot of ways in which we could compare Bible versions, but for our purposes today, we'll do it through the lens of the three applications of Scripture. Historical, doctrinal, and inspirational. Now, it's been a while since we talked about these three applications, so let's take a moment to review this idea before we jump in. The historical application allows us to better understand the historicity of the Bible. It is a book which accurately chronicles any historical events that it mentions, and this application allows us to see how true and authentic the Bible is as it relates to the events of history. The doctrinal application is concerned with what the Bible is teaching. The goal is to understand the directions and instructions God is giving us through His Word. The inspirational application is about applying the Bible to your life and ministry. It's the, what does this mean to me, question. So, in order to better understand why the choice of Bible version matters, let's compare the KJV to a few alternate versions through the lens of these three applications. To illustrate some historical differences, let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 2, 17. Here, we'll be comparing the KJV with the NASB, or the New American Standard Bible. The KJV says this, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity. But as of God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Here's 
what the NASB says. For we are not like the many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. These two verses say different things regarding what people are doing with the word of God. The NASB and almost all other versions say that some individuals are peddling or trying to sell or make a profit from the word of God. Whereas the KJV states that people are trying to corrupt or purposefully taint the word of God. If we are looking to ascertain the historical application from the KJV translation of this verse, we could conclude that God's word was under attack even in the 50s AD, the first century. However, we would come to a different historical application altogether if we were reading from the NASB. Next, we'll take a look at a passage in the book of Acts chapter 8, focusing on a doctrinal application. For context, in verse 26, Philip is told by the Lord to go into the desert, and there he meets an Ethiopian eunuch who is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. The passage he's reading and doesn't understand is from Isaiah 53, which speaks prophetically of Jesus Christ. Let's start in verse 35 first from the KJV. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, let's read this same passage from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So I should have warned you that this is, these version comparisons are kind of like an auditory Where's Waldo, but in this case, it's it's called Where's Verse 37 of Acts chapter 8, and that's because the ESV omits verse 37, again, in the KJV, which says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So let me ask you a question. If you were reading this passage from an ESV exclusively, is it possible that you could come to the conclusion that a profession of faith in Jesus Christ is not required for baptism? Because I think so. And in fact, this verse, this very verse, is often what I've used and quoted when discussing infant baptism with my Catholic friends. Reading this verse from an ESV, we come to a different doctrinal application for baptism than we would reading it from a KJV. Lastly, let's see the differences in an inspirational application by reading a passage in Matthew chapter 13. Here, Jesus is speaking in parables about the kingdom of heaven. Again, we'll begin by reading the passage from the KJV, starting in verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in a field. 
But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto him, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest we gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now let's read the same passage from the New International Version, the NIV. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, this is a subtle difference, but an important one. First, we should note that a tear is a type of weed, but so is a dandelion and so is a thistle. A tear is unique in that in its early stages of growth, it looks like a weed, but it actually comes from a type of seed called darnel, and the darnel seed is poisonous. If I'm looking at this passage from an inspirational lens, and man, you could look at it from, from a doctrinal lens as well. But if I'm looking at it from an inspirational lens, which will be somewhat subjective, though it's never going to contradict against a historical or a doctrinal, for me, understanding the differences between a wheat and a tear is key to understanding that fruitfulness is proven out over time. Wheat and tares look the same, but they most definitely are not the same. Do I get that from an NIV? No. I don't think I do. These are just a few examples of the differences between the KJV and other versions. However, I hope that you can see from these examples that different versions of the Bible do, in fact, say different things. As always, I want to thank you for joining me on another episode of the PS Plus. For more information about the Living Faith Bible Institute, feel free to visit lfbi.org. And if this topic interests you, Professor Alan Shelby's Manuscript Evidence class is being offered this summer as a self-paced class, and enrollment is open right now. I thank you so much for listening, and I hope to talk to you next time. Take care.